What's up, fellas? Welcome back to another episode of the Grown Man Podcast. I'm your host today, Kirk Kersey. And on today's episode of the show, we talk with my longtime friend, family friend, Dave Workman. Dave is the president of Elemental Churches, a leadership development group devoted to helping churches and nonprofits become healthier and more effective. Before Elemental Churches, Dave was instrumental in the growth of the Vineyard Cincinnati, which was my home church, mine and my family's home church for probably over 10 years. Wow. Um, and Dave was a pastor there from mega church, from its inception all the way to the mega church that it still is today. Uh, he served as senior pastor there for 13 years, spearheaded initiatives like the Healing Center, a multi-million dollar facility offering 40 different services to holistically meet the needs of thousands of resource-challenged people every month, and the H2O Nigeria Project, drilling over 100 water wells. Dave now regularly speaks on leadership development, building outward-focused churches nationally and internationally. He's the author of Elemental Leaders, Four Essentials Every Leader Needs and Every Church Must Have, and The Outward-Focused Life, Becoming a Servant in a Serve Me World. Dave and his wife, Anita, live in Cincinnati, Ohio. And Dave really was the first person to introduce me to what it meant to be a servant at such a young, pivotal age. And in a lot of ways, Dave, whether you know this or not, (laughs) influenced the way that my family thought about servanthood and about what it meant to be believers and really walk out our faith. We came from a more traditional church background where service wasn't necessarily the focus. It was maybe a little bit more insular focus in a lot of ways of take care of your family and maybe take care of kind of your closest community, but not really focused on what it means to be a servant at home and outside of, of your front door. And you really expose that to us. So we owe you a, a huge debt of gratitude for how close of a relationship we have with Jesus today. Uh, thanks so much. That means a lot coming from you, Kurt. It really does. And thanks for that uh, very generous introduction. It almost sounds like someone else wrote that. <laughs> like some almost. PR guy. <laughs> almost. Somebody that likes you a lot. Yeah, that. right. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think, you know, we talk a lot on this show, Dave, about leadership. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is you have been in a lot of different leadership roles. You've been around a lot of different leaders, right? I think one of the most unique things about being in the church or the nonprofit world as a leader of an organization um, is that not only are you leading that organization, you're leading the leaders of inside of that organization, then you're also interfacing with all of the leaders of the community, be it you know donors in your church or, or church goers inside of your church or uh, people that you need to liaise with inside the city. Right. So sure. I guess I'll, I'll ask the power packed question. <laughs> Uh-oh. What, what is leadership all about? How, how do you know if you're a leader? Uh, how do you know if you're called to leadership? <laughs> I don't know who said this. It might have been the John Maxwell a million years ago saying something about, you know, you're a leader if you look behind you and there's people following you. <laughs> and if they're, not, if, they're, if they're not there, you're just taking a walk. And so uh, we used to tell people at, at the vineyard, you know, it was so much fun, Kurt, by the way, when, when my wife and I first came to this new little church plant called the vineyard that Steve Shogren had started. Uh, it was maybe 20 people meeting in a house in Mason. 
Mm. And then we got a front row seat to watch something explode to thousands and thousands of people coming each weekend. It was just insane. And a staff of, you know, I had a staff of 120 people or so. And it was, it was just a, it was a wonderful, thrilling, challenging, sometimes uh, frustrating period of time. But, uh, but I think in terms of, of leadership, we used to tell people who would say, uh, oh man, I'd like, to, uh, I'd like to be a pastor. I'd like to be a leader in the church. Or we would just tell them, well, just start. Just uh, start with gathering a few people. Uh, do a little Bible study. Do a little small group. Do something and just see how people respond. And that's, I think that's where you start. I had no training. I didn't go to, uh, you know, Wharton. I didn't go to Harvard Business School. I had no uh, training in leadership. Um, but what you realize is that there's this ongoing argument, I think, that probably you have and I have with different people. Is leadership a gift or can it be taught and trained? And my sense is, is that everyone, especially coming from a church perspective, coming from a Christian perspective, I was not, um, by the way, I was not raised in a church family. I didn't come to Christ mm -hmm. until I was later in life. Um, but I, I think just based on that, what, <laughs> what we learned from Jesus is that everyone is called to lead someone. Mm -hmm. So he, he, he didn't give any outs on you can disciple and you don't need to. <laughs> or mm -hmm. this person, you have this. I mean, everyone is called to bring people into a relationship with Jesus. That's just part of what we do. And you do that by leading them <laughs> into mm. that friendship with him. And so there's what, what our sphere of influence is or what the span of leadership is, that's up to God, that's up to all sorts of different things, the kind of training you have, some of your personality quirks, some of your natural inclinations. But everyone, in my opinion, is called to lead in some way. Mm. That's really powerful. I mean, I think I love the simplicity of if we're to model our lives after Jesus, Jesus was obviously a discipler and a leader, right? And so we're called to some level of leadership. How, how do you discern what level of leadership you're, you're called to? Well, I think that's just, uh, I think that's the proof is in the pudding. Mm. I think however that turns out in your life, and to me, that's kind of God's business, mm. uh, especially for leaders in um, church world, especially for people who want to make a difference in the kingdom. That's, that's kind of God's call, really. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's things that you can do outside of church world, however you lead, whether it's in the sphere of uh, education or, or government or whatever. I think there are things that you can do to uh, increase your leadership capacity, your capabilities. There's always a, I think you should always be on a learning track. There's always something new to discover, not only about yourself and what's good and bad in terms of your own leadership, um, but what other people are saying, what they have to, uh, like, like for instance, we're watching uh, our city and cities in the country and cities around the world going through this uh, really tough time with um, the what I call America's original sin, which is, in my opinion, racism. Oh, wow. So, so you're watching all this unfold and uh, you're thinking if ever there was a time for leadership, it's, it's now. Hmm. But one of the things that leaders must learn to do is to uh, listen. 
And you cannot grow without some empathetic listening to other people. It's just mm-hmm. impossible. It's mm-hmm. impossible. There, were, there was a reason, I think, that Jesus would so often respond to a question with a question. <laughs> and I just talked about this in a, in a, in a, in a conversation and in a talk uh, recently. But, but God and in, the, uh, and in the God-man Jesus he didn't ask questions to get information. You know, he has all the information. The reason why, why he asks questions is to uh, lead us into a place of self-discovery so that we can, oh, so we can take ownership of the things that we discover about ourselves. Mm-hmm. For, for instance, if I wake up one day and, and Anita, my wife, says, Dave, you are so freaking self-centered, you know, I'm going to probably get defensive. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I'll, I'll respond in all sorts of ways that are good and bad or whatever. But if I wake up one morning and suddenly say to myself, man, I'm really self-centered. All of a sudden, there's a sense of ownership. And there is nothing tougher than self-leadership. Mm. So, uh, so as, we, as we learn to listen and to empathize, there's so much of the stuff that comes out of our own hearts that is so healthy to discover. I think that's so good because I think so, you know, so often this show is called the grown man project because I think, you know, we're, we're all on this path and this journey as men of understanding what it means to be a grown man as a believer. And I think so often society tells us that if you're a man and you're a leader, you have to have all the right answers. You have to push through tough things. You have to be kind of the, at times the bully or the bull in the China shop and I have been encouraged by some aspects of leadership that we see kind of coming more into vogue in America that is this kinder, gentler, more empathetic leader. And it would seem like that is the, the path that we ought to take as believers. Do you agree with that? Or am I thinking about that the right way? I think you're thinking absolutely the right way. Uh, Sometime back, I suddenly realized that I never really thought about God, the father as being humble, <laughs> mm. you know, and maybe, yeah, I don't know why I, mm. I, I would see Jesus as being the humble servant, the one who mm-hmm. said, Hey, for even I, the son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. That is so powerful. But I never thought about the father like that. But the realization was, you know, when it hits you, where Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Hmm. So the fact that God is a is humble is a little stunning to me because he's obviously the, the ultimate leader. You're a pretty good leader if you can just speak universes into existence. <laughs> you've got some sort of real power going on there. <laughs> but... To respond in such a humble way is, that's very, very different. And I'm glad to see that beginning to pop up in uh, leadership stuff with, with men. I mean, Jim Collins, he, he jumped all over that with level five leadership mm-hmm. back in uh, Good to Great, Built to Last, and mm-hmm. those seminal books where he, he talks about level five leadership was this odd combination that they found in their research that they really weren't expecting to see in the most effective CEOs. Mm. And it was two things. It was this weird combination of humility, but corporate resoluteness. In other Mm. words, 
I've got a, I, I've got the, our organization needs to do something, <laughs> and I am, mm. I am married to it, and it's not about me; it's about the organization. That mm. kind of humility, he said. As soon as they started showing up, as soon as the superstar CEOs started showing up on Oprah, it was all over. Mm. As soon as they started showing up on talk shows, and I would tell the staff at the Vineyard when I was pastoring back in the day. If you ever see DaveWorkman.com, just come and shoot me and put me out of your misery <laughs> because there's just something that seems so antithetical to the way Jesus operated. Mm-hmm. That's really powerful. I, I, I'm, I'm challenged to even think about, you know, that's such a hard tension to hold between the strength and confidence that it takes to lead the resol- as you as Jim Collins put it, that corporate resoluteness, and then also the humility to lead in a way that is empathetic to those around you, and that is more about the we. And I, I you know, you brought you bring up that word empathy. One of the things I've been chewing on, as you as you mentioned, with the, all the 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 terrible racism and the the events that are happening as we record this on June second in twenty twenty. Empathy has been a word that I've wrestled with a lot. You know, my my initial reaction to uh, a lot of the events that have transpired has been, frankly, from a place of judgment, from my perspective, my vantage point, saying I don't agree with that statement or I don't agree with that action, as opposed to an empathetic response of saying, gosh, I can't imagine bringing myself to do that. what might have transpired in that person's life or that person's experience or that person's perspective that would take them to that place and seek first to understand that, that position. Uh, That's a tough thing to do. How how do we as leaders learn how to be more empathetic? Well, I think it's a, uh, I mean, right there is the, that learning word that you put on on that. It is a learned skill, I think. Sometimes in our culture, that that picture of leadership is such a hard-driving type A personality. That's kind of the thing that we've been uh, enculturated with. That's such a myth. And and decomposing that, de-escalating that kind of thing, it just has to happen Mm -hmm. to where you, um, to sit down and just listen to someone else's worldview takes so much uh, effort, but it's so rewarding, Kurt. You you know that um, it's a power. It's a powerful tool that I think every leader should have in their tool belt for mm-hmm. sure. No you're not going. You're not going to grow without that. And no and and the challenge is there. There is no growth without change, <laughs> mm. and there's no change without letting go of something. Mm. You have to let go of something otherwise you 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 can't you can't grow and so letting go of my need to get my opinion or my thing out there is is hard to do (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's just hard to listen but if we don't do that we're not going to grow it's impossible Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's really good i'm curious you know part of the impetus of starting this show my my what i felt god calling me to was I had such a unique experience growing up of being surrounded by men like you and Todd Guckenberger and so many other great leaders and mentors that I considered friends, you know, personal acquaintances that I think a lot of men don't have that same experience, that level of exposure. 
and it just it shaped my heart and my understanding and and who I knew myself to be in Jesus. And, and in a lot of ways, as I reflect on those leaders, all of them were led from a place of humility, like sincere humility to the point where they would invest time in the 12, 13 year old Kurt <laughs> with, <laughs> with no real reason other than they cared enough to do it, you know? Uh, and, and so I'm curious, I've been surrounded by so many great leaders that have just decided that they were called to lead. And we talked about, you know, we're, we're all called to lead in some capacity what would you say to the young man that uh, is accepting that call and yet feels totally unqualified to lead, is totally uncertain of himself and his ability to lead, maybe hasn't ever been really in leadership positions before? How did they take that, that first step? How do you get the confidence to actually step out as a leader? Yeah, I think, first of all, just recognizing that you're probably that personality that doesn't feel qualified that that's not an alone feeling. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know very few people who just kind of barge in. A, a, fr- a friend of mine, yeah, well, you know him, Ron Bashir, who's sure, uh, yeah. been in the city and just a, a unique character. He once told me, he said, Dave, there are two types of people in the world. He said, two guys walk into a women's restroom and one guy says, where are the urinals? Uh-huh. Who, who forgot to put that in there? And uh, the other guy looks and sees no urinals and just crawls out embarrassed. I think some <laughs> of us fit to the latter thing more than we want to say. Yeah. And so what I love about when, when I read scripture, there are all sorts of varieties of leaders described there. And there, there is David, who is the giant killer. Mm-hmm. The, the, the Bible says that David actually ran toward Goliath. That is not me. <laughs> I, on the other hand, I'm Gideon. I'm down in a hole in the ground trying to thresh my wheat because I'm afraid of the marauding armies around who want to destroy mm. everything. And when mm. an angel finally shows up and says, you know, hey, let's, let's do something about this. I, I, I'm the Gideon who says, well, where's the leader? Send someone. Mm. And when the angel says, you're the man, I, I don't respond well to that. And so some of us are dragged kicking and screaming, I think, into leadership. But again, the reality is we're all called to lead. We all have some purpose, some mission, something that God has given everyone, male and female. Every person has a purpose and a plan that has something to do with people and something to do in the leading of people into a better place. Mm. That's so well said. Better world. And so, uh, I, I, uh, to be honest, I've never been that confident person. I don't think I've ever walked out on a stage to speak. And, and I, I think at one time I figured out that I had been involved in over 44,000 services, church services. Wow. I don't think I ever walked out with any real confidence. Like, oh, man, is this the day I'm going to bring the heat and slay the crowd and I'm going to have them in the palm of my hand? I I think that's a dangerous place to be, mm-hmm. <laughs> honestly, mm-hmm. because when we begin to um, lose our dependency on something bigger than ourselves, I think that's scary. Mm-hmm. I think it's really scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were just talking with our team recently. I, I, I love that. I think regardless of how you're wired, if you're putting yourself in an environment where you feel uh, – 
confident in and of yourself, uh, totally able and maybe overconfident of what's happening in the situation. You're either blind to the circumstances or you're in the wrong room. Yes. Right? I, like we talk yes. with our team all the time about there's the comfort zone, <laughs> there's the, the danger zone, and then there's a space in between that that is the growth zone. Right. And so we want our team always, always, always operating in the growth zone. You should feel a little intimidated, a little scared, a little uncomfortable with the role that you're playing with the people that, that we're serving, our clients that, that we have the opportunity to serve. Uh, you shouldn't feel in a place where you're incompetent, where it's dangerous for you to be doing the things that you're doing. But you also shouldn't feel like you could do the thing in your sleep. Right? Yeah, absolutely. We need to elevate you into a new role. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. There's that zone that you have to be in. Otherwise, if it's too comfortable, if it's too easy, apathy sets in. Yeah. And if it's too stressful all the time, then you have nervous breakdowns. But there's somewhere in there where you just want to feel, well, oh, man, I got to step it up here. Yeah. I got, I, God, I really need you in this. There's something yeah. really powerful about that. How do we as leaders grow people to a spot where they want that growth zone? You know, like I, I think of a lot of young men and, and I'm being cautious to be more empathetic than judgmental, but I see a lot of young men um, that, that just want to hang out in that comfort zone, that, that do uh, have almost a desired apathy, right? They, they want to be able to be apathetic. Um, and you could list out a bunch of reasons why that is. I don't think a lot of it is actually their fault. Um, and yet it's a, it's a mindset shift that has to happen for you to actually desire to be challenged and to be pushed and want to live in that, in that growth zone. How do we help nurture or lead men to that? Well, I think in, in the way we lead people and mentor people, you have to give them challenges. Mm -hmm. If, if a person on your staff has, um, if they don't have enough challenge, if they're operating uh, you know, below what their competency level is, they'll eventually move on. Mm. They really will. And, um, uh, or the, the opposite is someone who just has an attitude. You just got to do mm. something about that. You got to work mm. with that and do it. I remember, um, it's a little off where you were going, but I remember um, Henry Cloud, who is a Christian uh, counselor, psychologist, talked about the, the Proverbs describing three types of people in the world. There's the wise man, the fool, and the evil man. And the wise man, you're able to give them whatever, conferences, books, whatever, any sort of training things, and they're able to take in information and assimilate it for their growth and the growth of the organization. They're just able to assimilate things. Mm -hmm. The fool has difficulty doing that. And so with the fool, there has to be consequences. So if you keep doing this behavior or you keep doing that, here's what's going to happen. <laughs> the evil man, though, he would say, it's just, it's just guns and lawyers. <laughs> you just have to isolate them. You have to quarantine them from the rest of, uh, of, of the world. Otherwise, mm -hmm. there's something ill-intentioned about them that loves to see destruction. Mm. So I, I don't know how many actual evil people I've run into in my life, <laughs> but there've been a few, I think, who got some sort of pleasure out of destroying things. Mm. You know? mm. So, so, so the wise man or the person who's not able to what the Bible may label as a fool, 
you really have to spend more time with that person in terms of giving them challenges and consequences that are connected with it. Mm. And I, I know for myself, I was not always a, uh, I haven't been a great mentor. And, and, and the way you train people is there's kind of a spectrum. It goes all the way from uh, abdication which is you just give someone jobs to do and whatever, and then you never tell them anything. You just kind of say, good luck. And oftentimes that's the leader who wants to slough off something they don't like doing to someone else. And that's it. They own it forever and that's it. The other end is uh, kind of a uh, domination where it's micromanaged. Every little detail you're watching somewhere in the middle is an empowerment thing where true delegation happens. Where you check in, you give them space, you work with them on the problem. You know, it's less of how to do the stuff and more of offering challenges. Mm -hmm. Watch how they do that and mentor them through that process. I love that. I love that idea of offering challenges. And, and I think almost as leaders, we have a responsibility to know what that growth zone is and to kind of constantly be auditing that and kind of calling people into a challenge that's going to pull them into that that grows on in a, in a safe way still. Right. Oh, it's, it's so powerful. It was, uh, uh, oh, there's a, uh, Hungarian author. I can't say his name. He, he doesn't have enough vowels in his name, but he wrote a classic book called flow. And he yeah. told the story of this, uh, uh he talked about this uh, tribe in British Columbia an indigenous tribe and every 25 years or so the elders would say it's time to move <laughs> we we move from this area we live and the entire tribe would move to a whole new territory and it created all sorts of new challenges new new uh, water holes to find new trails to blaze new everything was new and it brought life to that we all need some sense of challenge from time to time the, the trick is, as leaders, is how much is too much? <laughs> What's the rate of change that people can take? And how well can we manage that process? Yeah, that's really good. You, you said something in your pre-interview that I think is going to lead to a challenge for all of us married men. Uh, <laughs> you, you said that you learned more about Jesus through your marriage and more about the Father through parenthood. Can you oh, tell us goodness. what you mean about learning more about Jesus through your marriage? Yes. So when I came to Christ, um, I was in my 20s. I was not um, raised in a church home, as I said. And my parents actually had a terrible marriage. It was, a, it was mm. not a good marriage. Uh, my sister went through two divorces. I just never really saw a healthy marriage. Mm -hmm. And so I, I come to Christ, and I, the first thing that happens to me is I'm struck by the Jesus that I'm reading in the Gospels. I had never read anything in the Bible. I never heard a prayer in my house. Mm. And so I'm reading the New Testament thinking, oh my word, this is a lion of a man. Here mm. is somehow humility just wrapped up in a sense of purpose and mission. It was so powerful. And he just didn't take any crap from the religious, you know, the phonies and the hypocrites. He just didn't do it. It was so powerful. I so loved that. And so intellectually, I could think through all the stuff about Jesus, about the Father that I loved. Mm. 
But it's not until you're actually put to the test <laughs> that your knowledge is, becomes anything workable and usable. So when I got married, it, my fear was, oh, I, I don't know if I can maintain any kind of long distance love. Mm. I, I haven't seen anybody do this. Mm. What if you just kind of run out of love? What if it, you know, and marriage, as anyone who's married knows, is hard work. I mean, it's just hard. My oldest daughter, Rachel, I think this was prior to her getting married. She was in college was home and asked Anita, my wife, one day, said, what's the hardest thing about marriage, mom? And we're all standing in the kitchen, and Anita goes, not getting my way. <laughs> I think that <laughs> I is so simple, and that is so true, you know, because all of a sudden, there are two people who have to learn to live together and not always get your own way. Mm. And so... When I stumbled across the passage in Ephesians that, that talks about, Paul is talking about how Jesus so loved the church, so loved his bride that he laid his life down for her. Mm. I'm thinking, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> that goes a little beyond not just, have, yeah. just not having your way, right? <laughs> Here we go. That's more than a good metaphor, God. <laughs> you, this is the way of life. And until I learn how to lay my life down for my spouse, and, 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 you know, obviously before he even gets into that passage of the man's responsibility, he's, he's talking to married people and he says, submit one to another. So there's something really powerful about that. And then the way the church responds to Jesus in full, bold love, because how can I be loved that much? that someone would lay their life down for me creates this cycle of health and relationship that you can't match. So I learned a lot <laughs> about <laughs> Jesus through being married. Thought, mm. Man, this is harder than I thought Jesus. And I can't do this without you. I mm. cannot lay down my life. I want to be right. Sometimes I want to win the argument sometimes. And to lay that down is really a challenge, really mm. a challenge. Mm. <laughs> then having kids, oh, my word, <laughs> that changed everything. And, and my fear was, once again, Kurt, I had a scarcity mentality when it came to love. And my fear was, I, I don't know how I can love Anita the way I need to and want to love her. And then there's this whole new little human being in our household. And now I got to love that. And what if we have more children? And can I sus sustain that over a lifetime? You know. And I just remember when we had our first baby, we were living in this little apartment in Norwood. <laughs> she actually slept in a crib in a closet. <laughs> That's how tiny the, the apartment was. <laughs> And uh, I just remember walking around with Rachel in my arms in our apartment and her just doing that baby thing where they just coo and they just look mm -hmm. at you like they're trying to figure out what in the world is going on. <laughs> <laughs> and she's just cooing and making gurgling noises. And I, inside I'm thinking, oh my goodness, Rachel, you won't ever remember this time right now, mm -hmm. but I will remember it for the rest of my life. And the kind of love that I feel for you right now, I can't explain it. it and, and me being a uh, self-centered guy, mm. how much more must God love me? Mm. If I mm. feel that, 
in my self-centered world, me first world, towards this little human being that we've created, how much more must the creator feel for his children? Mm. I mean, that's just, so I learned so much about the father just through having kids. It's remarkable. You talk about humility. That's a that's a pretty good dose of humility when you think about, uh, oh, you think about it, the father it's that the way. Best. And I'm convinced, Kurt, that along those lines, that once again, I think the only way into the kingdom is by humbling yourself. Hmm. There's no other way in. Hmm. Uh, uh, you know, and I I used to think, why why didn't Jesus, I mean, I, I'm, I'm relating my master as a guy who walked in the flesh 2000 years ago. So there's a lot of questions about that. Why then? Why not now? And why didn't Jesus at some point just, if he really wanted to show that he was the son of God, why not just levitate? <laughs> why, you know, you're, you're doing the sermon on the Mount and you're, you're giving some pretty good sermon points, man. You're saying, blessed is this, blessed is this, blessed is this person. You're doing pretty good. Why not just lift off the ground about 30 feet, spread your arms out and say, look at this folks. Aim over. <laughs> look at who I am. Come on. Why doesn't God just sky write sometimes? Why doesn't he just write in the sky in fiery letters? I'm God. Get over yourselves. <laughs> That's not what works in humanity. The only way in is, is by humility. I'm convinced of that. And the humbling part is saying, I'm a guy that really knows nothing. At some point, I'll breathe my last. I have no idea what happens. No clue. <laughs> or as Jesus put it, he says, why do you worry about what you eat or what you wear? Or what you, why do you worry about that? You can't even add an inch to your stature. <laughs> you can't even do the simplest things. And yet your father loves you so much. So that means that I have to humble myself and admit, I don't know squat. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know where I came from. I don't know where I'm going. So why can't I not humble myself and say, God, you are God, and I know nothing. I'm yours. And somehow that opens the door into a relationship with him that works. <laughs> He's never going to skyrise. He's not going to levitate. It's up to us to humble ourselves and say, we, we really don't know anything, Father. Hmm. <laughs> it's really powerful, brother. I think that message of humility, that level of humility, not even just, I can't do it all, but I can do nothing, yeah. right, is a whole is a whole other level of humility that I, I do think, as men, is hard to wrap our arms around, is different than the requirement that the world tells us we have, we have to meet as men. Yeah. Uh, and it's well, a different in a beautiful way. Yeah. It is so powerful when you think about Jesus on the last night of his earthly life, he gathers his friends and he asks them to be with him. <laughs> he says, be with me. My heart is in agony. And then he just breaks down and sweats drops of blood because he knows the incredible pain that he's about to face and the humiliation of being stripped naked in front of 
people jeering and making fun of you. And oh, it's just the, the, and the pain, the physical pain of what he's going through. It's, and he asked for his friends, be with me, stay with me, will you? And you think, what leader does that? What leader does that? I remember when we were first starting the church, the, uh, the, because so many of us have come from dysfunctional family setups, it was, we're not going to run a church like a mom and pop business. It's not going to be this little family thing. And we're going to run it like a business. And, and we're going to call people and challenge people and say, come on, let's go. We have a mission. We have a purpose. We're going to do the same. Let's go. And if people can't keep up and they're on staff, you're going to ask them to leave and so forth. That's the way it is. We're going to run it like a business because, again, none of us wanted to be this little family because we didn't have good models. We all came mm. from dysfunctional boomer families. Then when I stepped into the senior pastor role, it was, I don't know, man, how do we do this? And I'm looking at Jesus and I'm thinking, the problem with the business model, that model, is that you keep people at an emotional distance. Mm. And the reason why you do that is if you have to ask them to leave because they are not competent at the level that you need them to lead, then it's easier to do that if you're not emotionally entangled with them. That's why you mm -hmm. heard back in the day, you know, pastors don't make friends with their, it's mm -hmm. just so weird. Mm -hmm. And so I'm reading them saying, oh, we were just self-protecting them. That's what mm. we were doing. So I look at Jesus and his approach seemed to be just the opposite. He was so close to those guys that he could turn to Peter at one point and say, you are of the devil, pal, and you do not understand what my mission is and you're messing things up. I don't even want to look at you. Get behind me. And Peter's response to that, I can't imagine I would be crushed, especially mm -hmm. as an introvert, Peter. I would have been crushed at that. And uh, instead, Peter becomes a martyr mm. of the man that he followed. Peter mm. follows him all the way. Mm. But Jesus, because he had such an intimate relationship with these guys, he camped with them, he ate with them, he traveled with them, he did ministry to with them, he mentored them for three years. He could say the difficult things to them mm. <laughs> and not be self-protective of himself. Mm. <laughs> he mm. was emotionally entangled in their world it's very powerful it was a much different approach to leadership when i watched jesus and tried to figure out all right we're going to try to do this as best we can we're all going to be friends and family and we're going to be really close and we're going to be transparent and if we have to call each other out we have to call each other out and when one of us is not pulling our weight we're going to say it we're going to announce it we're going to deal with it and work with it and if so it's just, it was just a much powerful thing because his relationships ran so deep he was able to say the very difficult things and lead in a way that's different it's really powerful i mean it's challenging to me as a business leader but i also think you know it's challenging whether you're leading a church a business your family uh or a small group of of men right uh getting to that level of vulnerability and relationship is something that we should we should work at that we should walk into it with that eyes wide open intention of mm. these are the people I'm doing life with I'm committing to do life with this group of people yeah I think that's that's really powerful it's well, scary it's are, scary 
it's terrifying <laughs> in all the right ways. We got to be in, in that all growth the right zone, ways. Right? <laughs> Dave, this was a phenomenal conversation. The, the books are Elemental Leaders and Outward Focused Life. I would highly recommend reading both of them. I have their fantastic Outward Focused Life was really, really good. That was the first one you wrote, right? When you, when you, yeah, wrote, it's, when it's actually, uh, that was written back in 2008. It's funny to read now. I think it's out of print. I think there's some things you can still get on Amazon. I'm not sure, but yeah. 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 And again, that was, we were all learning this together, Kurt. We were Absolutely. learning it with you as you were there as well. And, and, and that listening piece, I, I can remember, and I'll just make this brief because I know we've run out of time. Mm-hmm. I remember one of one of my favorite series at the vineyard was a series we did called Jesus Loves You, Everyone Else Thinks You're a Jerk. And <laughs> we Christians had such bad PR in the world. It was embarrassing. And if you ask the average non-Christian or pre-Christian what they thought of church or Christianity or Christians, it was usually pretty negative. They're a bunch of hypocrites. They just want your money, whatever. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite times was when we interviewed a waitress from Chili's restaurant who was not a believer. The primary question was, what's it like on Sunday afternoons when the Christians come in? Oh, gosh. And our job was to just listen. And she came loaded for bear. I mean, she just... Boom! You guys are terrible. You you know you you don't you, you you're cheap. You're demanding. You, you you know you don't look at us. And, and then instead of tipping, you leave little brochures about hell. You're, <laughs> she said, "None of my coworkers want to work on Sundays." And I thought, "Oh my word! What a sad state! Right? What a sad state!" And we who are supposed to be the servants of all mm-hmm. somehow missed it and treated the servants like crap. Mm. <laughs> you can't do mm. that. And after that weekend, I found out that <laughs> vineyard people were leaving like $20 tips at Chili's. <laughs> <laughs> you changed the lives for all the Chili's. Now everybody's fighting to work on Sundays. <laughs> there's, a, there's a fine line between learning and guilting. <laughs> right. Hey, Kurt, thank you so much for inviting me here. Oh, thank you for being on. Thanks for the work that you do to repair uh, leadership in our churches uh, across the country and across the globe. Dave, if people want to learn more about what Dave is up to, you can go to elementalchurches.com. I'd highly recommend picking up a copy of the book, even if you're not a church leader. Uh, as Dave so eloquently put it, we are all called to lead in some capacity. So pick up the book and I promise you will not regret uh, digging into it and learning what it means to really step into that, that role as leader. Thanks again, Dave. God bless you, man. Thanks.